0: I'm author and athlete, Brad Kearns. Welcome to the Be Rad Podcast, where we explore ways to pursue peak performance with passion throughout life. Visit bradkearns.com for great resources on healthy eating, exercise, and lifestyle. And here we go with the show. This ability
1: to take control of your body and really just determine what are the combination of foods and the inputs that make you feel your best And that combination could change over time. And why would you not try and experiment and try and
2: optimize and become the best version of yourself? Can we continue to eat the way that we're eating right now at scale across humanity? I don't think so. What we're doing to the soil in terms of like abusing it with these fertilizers and pesticides is really just kind of a parallel to how we're treating our own
0: bodies with processed foods. Hey ladies. You may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for Her. of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner buy six treatments and get one free yo it's time to talk to the meat mafia clemenza and Salazo. yes indeed i have two very interesting and enthusiastic gentlemen who host a podcast called the meat mafia they're also sensations on twitter with their respective handles that you can find in the show notes or look up meat mafia on twitter and these young guys are doing a fantastic job spreading the word especially to their younger demographic where by and large it seems that we don't come to this incredible health awakening and nutrient density focus on the diet until later in our younger decades a lot of us can reference uh, having fun and grabbing a pizza on the go while we're driving hard with career and even athletic goals, not really worrying about it. But in Brett Salazo's case, he had a horrible health experience, uh, even as a young player in college baseball, and he started to lose weight. He couldn't bring down food. He will relate the details of this problem that sent him into hospitalization and expensive medical treatments and that doesn't seem like a fun way to go through your 20s so the health awakening started early for harrison and brett and now they're committed to spreading the word especially about the benefits of an animal-based diet and sourcing the food um, second guessing the industrialized food complex and how bad this is for our health the misinformation that we've been dispensed so i think you're going to get a lot out of this show and you're going to love their enthusiasm which they have now taken over into pursuing extreme endurance goals like doing the iron man triathlon hey what the heck let's train for an iron man a 100k run and fueling these efforts with a very uh, thoughtful intentional diet they have great content on twitter i want to read one post where they just put up uh, a bunch of suggested foods to emphasize as well as lifestyle practices so at a glance boom here you go <laughs> meat fruit eggs organs oysters marrow raw dairy, raw honey, bone broth, orange juice, dark chocolate, fermented vegetables, walk a lot, lift heavy things, rest often, breathe more, sunbathe, create, and community. Hey, those are nice marching orders. Here's another uh, quick hit from uh, one of their informative articles on the Meat Mafia website. These are core tenants. Things like enjoyment, simplicity, consistency, community, mindfulness, and low time preference, meaning play the long game. I love it. These guys are great. Let's have some fun with them and go over and check out their podcast called The Meat Mafia Podcast, of which I was a guest on. So start with that show. You'll love it. We had a great time. And now let's get to know Harrison Clemenza and Brett Salazzo. Listeners, I am joined by The Meat Mafia, and these guys are no joke. We have Solaza and Clemenza. They came from New Jersey, but they've moved on to bigger and better things, especially promoting this wonderful movement. We're better from places like Austin, San Diego, the cool parts of the world. We have Brett and Harry. I had a great time on your show. I want listeners to jump over to the Meat Mafia podcast and subscribe and now uh, get to turn the tables and hear about the fun stuff that uh, that you guys are doing. So welcome. Brad, it's a it's a pleasure to be on your podcast and and love the name
2: of your podcast. I think it's one of the best ones out there.
0: Oh, I, likewise, the Meat Mafia. How can you beat that? And then the the clever little uh, tweets. I guess you guys are mainly uh, using Twitter for these memorable the, the list of foods and the the stats from um, Stefansson, the explorer that went to the South Pole. It's a it, it's a great resource and it's fun. And um, you guys are, are working hard to build something cool. So. Maybe we should uh, just start, like, um, with your journey, uh, starting in starting in Jersey, and um, how did you, you know, how did you get into this uh, unique way of living, eating? Um, we're talking about some amazing athletic performances that have occurred recently, so I can't wait to learn all about it.
1: Yeah, and and uh, you might offend Harry because I'm a New Jersey boy, but Harry's a Virginia boy, so. He I'm Northeast, he's mid-Atlantic. So there's a little bit of a beef going on there, but still close enough. But um, but Brad, our story really started a lot of the what we've been doing at the Meat Mafia. Number one, it's like Harry and I are really close personal friends. Um, we met in college, we both played college baseball together up at Babson College, which is a division three school. And so I think, you know, with what we're doing with the Meat Mafia, you know, neither of us are MDs, we're not nutritionists, we're not strength coaches you know, we're just two guys that have had our own journeys with diet and lifestyle to kind of get to the point where we are now. And have just like really questioned what's gone wrong with the food system and how can we create some sustainable solutions to help make people healthier. Um, so that's a that's a lot of what we're trying to do, uh, you know, through the Meat Mafia. And, you know, we can talk about it, but we really started on Twitter and it's naturally evolved to a podcast and we've recorded over 115 episodes and since March 1st. So we've been trying to hit it hard, which is exciting. But, um, you know, for me, Brad, my, my journey with nutrition, uh, for me, was really trying to find a cure to some pretty serious autoimmune conditions that I was dealing with when I was younger. So, um, you know, like I mentioned, I played baseball at a, at a pretty high level and really just justified everything that I was doing is like calories in calories out. So was drinking pre-workout and protein shakes and eating a lot of, fried food out of a box and not really knowing anything about how to cook my own meals and kind of just fell into that unhealthy college lifestyle. So, you know, like when I was 21 years old, I was probably drinking too much alcohol. I was stressed out. I wasn't eating well. I wasn't sleeping enough. And then going into my senior year, I started um, having blood in my stool and an urgency to go to the bathroom. And it got to a point where I was pretty much going to the bathroom over 20 times a day. I lost 30 pounds. I got hospitalized. And I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, um, which is an inflammatory bowel disease that affects your large intestine or your colon. Um, and I was on some pretty serious medication for that. I was I was told that colitis is incurable, and I was going to have to be on the drug for the rest of my life. Um, and my medication I was supposed to get administered through an infusion called Remicade, um, and it was like fifty thousand dollars per infusion every eight weeks. Um, so I, I'm costing the medical system four hundred k a year let alone all the other people with similar autoimmune conditions that are on the same medication. It's like, you know, you can really do the math on how much that that adds up and is costing the medical system. Um, But Brad, everything really changed for me in 2019. uh, When I came across Dr. Sean Baker on Joe Rogan's podcast, and he started talking about the carnivore diet and how um, evolutionarily we really have evolved to be carnivores and how uh, contrary to popular literature, we thrive off of animal products and saturated fat and cholesterol and meet some of the most nutrient dense food you can put into your body, but it's also some of the most bioavailable and easily digestible foods. So, um, you know, I went carnivore in 2019. Thought I was, was gonna that do on it. your
0: own. Were you still going in for the treatments and part of the medical system? I was. So I think that's an
1: important point is that like you know i'm I'm not anti-western medicine because when you know, when I was flared up, like I needed some type of extraneous treatment because my I my stomach I just couldn't process any food. So what I say is like I think the Remicade got me out of that flare up, but it only got me to a point. like I was still going to the bathroom probably like four to five times a day and just like just that overactive, gi and that overactive colon because there was still some inflammation in there and that was the beauty of the carnivore diet is that because it's so restrictive and you're just focusing on these really nutrient-dense animal products it really removes a lot of the inflammation that i was getting from um, processed foods and alcohol and sugar and grain and all that kind of stuff so um, you know my body responded really well to it um, starting in 2019 Like I pretty much instantly went down to like one to two bowel movements a day, and for someone with colitis, that's pretty much unheard of for that to happen that quickly. And you know, in addition to that, my skin cleared up. Um, I had was making great gains in the gym. My mood, my mood really improved, and uh, I basically got to a point where I got rid of all the inflammation and microinflammation. And for the past year, I've been completely drug free because my uh, my blood work was so good. So. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great testament to what diet and lifestyle can do. And our, a lot of the what we're trying to do through our podcast, Brad, is just, you know, make this information and this knowledge more readily available and try and make these stories more common so people can get off medication and have their own healing experiences.
0: Dang. I mean, that's pretty rare for uh, someone young, healthy, athletic to get taken down. I mean, your teammates, I'm sure Harry was chowing the processed foods and the pre workout sugary drinks and the post workout, uh, whatever alcohol and, and pizza fest. So what do you think that is when we hear a story like that? Is this just your, uh, your bad luck combined with what a lot of young people are are doing? Um, and, and was 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 plants part of the equation? Or was it mainly on the processed foods that were taking you down?
1: Yeah. I, I really don't want to blame it on plants. I think for me, it was just eating way too much processed food. And the the interesting thing with colitis is you would think it would be the opposite, but it's actually most common amongst men in their twenties. And I'm, and I'm not sure why that is, but, and they don't know what the exact root cause is. They think there's a genetic component. They think there's a stress component and then a diet and lifestyle component. So I think I probably hit in on all those because <laughs> I wasn't living a healthy lifestyle I was chronically stressed out because of baseball and and school. And then also like my, I have a family history of stomach issues too. So I think it was some combination of those things. And, you know, I just wasn't really giving, I I wasn't giving my genes what they wanted. And it kind of caught up to me when I was 21.
0: Harry, what did the team do when Brett was struggling? I mean, losing 35 pounds, you're not hitting any home runs. Maybe you're not even getting to those outfield balls.
2: I mean, this is terrible. (laughs) You know, it's funny, Brett and I talk about this a decent amount, but it's easy to mask some of these things, especially when you're a young guy. Um, So like, I remember, so Brett and I were training for uh, an Ironman as he was getting off of his medication. And I remember him telling me about him getting off the medication as we're running along the Charles River in Boston. And I'm sitting here going, dude, I didn't even really realize that you were in such bad condition. But then you know looking back when when we talk about you know what what he's gone through he's talking about going to the bathroom 30 30 times a day and the implications of what that looks like it's it's absolutely insane to have thought that he was going through that and like people who are closest to him including myself like didn't even fully appreciate what that process was that he was going through and and like you said i mean you made a great point like lifestyle wise it's not like brett and i were living completely different lives like we were training hard, and you know, during certain periods, we're eating better than we then uh you know eating better during certain times of of the year for performance. but then you know, when it was the off season, maybe you have like a few weeks in a row where you're not eating perfectly um and lifestyle creep starts to happen. You're not eating great, but um you're still training hard, so you still look good, and people just are assume that you're you're healthy, but mm-hmm. that stuff catches up to you and and I think that a lot of young people young people especially athletes can get away with a lot more than mm. uh, you know the average person
0: well it's also yeah i mean that's an extreme example where you know i think people can tell something's wrong when you lose 35 pounds probably oh. a lot of lean muscle but i think uh, a lot of people are walking around with um you know subclinical uh just irregularities and and difficulties that it's it's not even worth mentioning probably not even going to get medical treatment for it but you know, the gas, bloating, digestive pain, uh, you know, energy fluctuations in between meals, this stuff has become the norm now such that um, we, we don't even mention it or we just, we just assume it's normal.
1: A hundred percent. And
0: people say to us all the time too, Brad,
1: they're like, oh, you know, you guys are so young to be in the space because we're 28, 29. And we're like, so many of our friends that had graduated from college a few years ago, Like the amount of friends that I have that probably has like undiagnosed IBS or like they're starting to put weight on, or they talk about how (laughs) crappy they feel all the time. It's like a lot of this stuff is affecting young people now too, because we've lived our entire lives basically dependent on processed food. So that's like a very motivating thing for us is to try and help to teach other people that, you know, it's, it's not an incredibly complex equation to get yourself healthy, whether it's, you know, taking control of the food you put in your body, eating more really good quality animal protein getting 10,000 steps a day, getting sunlight exposure, um you know it's just these basic fundamental fundamental pillars that we want everyone to know about, you know.
0: Yeah, and on the positive side, it does seem like a certain segment of the younger population has really become tuned into this and mm-hmm. uh you know, free thinking, second guessing the the regime, the establishment, the the, the billboards promoting the frozen treats and all the crap that um we've had in place for many decades but now finally with uh the ease of communication it's it's kind of nice to see even uh, you know quite quite young people jumping in all the way like you guys and um and going to town and spreading the word and connecting with with people in your in your similar age group yeah and
2: and i would say to that point we try to keep our message really simple but just like the internet makes it easy to access people. And if you have a simple message and have fun with it, like people want to get involved with it. So like the meat mafia is obviously like a a playful and and fun little moniker. But it's also, you know, we really do care about what we're talking about. We think that there's a lot of value in kind of simplifying the message and saying, Hey, like, we need to get back to eating real foods, we need to get back to connecting with our food system, cooking your meals, like all these things are very basic steps to go through to live a healthy, more fulfilling life. So for us, it's like, what can we do in terms of building a brand that makes people want to connect with it? And at the same time, like, enjoy the process of becoming healthier, which Brett and I both have, have had the pleasure of doing it, pleasure or not pleasure of doing at a younger age. Um, so it's, it's, uh it's just enjoyable, be, uh, being able to share these messages, because I, I do think that some of the conversations we've had have have really been valuable for a lot of people
0: yeah well said and speaking of uh, simple and impactful tweets i want to read this list of uh th- this this list of items that uh we recommend that humans eat that you guys came up with on on the meat mafia twitter account it starts out meat fruit eggs organs oysters marrow raw dairy raw honey bone broth orange juice dark chocolate fermented veggies and then as far as lifestyle Walk much, lift heavy, rest often, breathe more, sunbathe, create, and community. Those are those are our walking papers. Man, sounds like a sounds like a wonderful life and a true nutrient dense diet that's easy to digest and and gonna cover all the bases. Yeah, when I
2: if I could eat all of that and just do all those things every day, I, I think that's like my epitome of thriving. I, I like I when I think about that list, it's it's simple. Most of those foods can be consumed in very, uh, like easy, easy ways. Like you don't need to overcomplicate it. And honestly, like most of those foods, there's no big brand behind it either, which is kind of another thing <laughs> that, gets, <laughs> that slid, slid in there. It's like, there's not like a, an agenda behind those foods. <laughs> mm. Brad, yeah. the, uh, the dark chocolate was obviously in honor of you too yeah we wanted to slide that one in there for you i'm so
0: glad that's in there because uh (laughs) saladino you know the the strictest of all uh on on the um on on the plant toxin scale and the sensitivities and he makes a good point but um he was on uh mark bell power project podcast and they said "Uh, so what about dark chocolate and paul says no way that's got this agent that agent and they're like forget you man we're gonna eat our dark chocolate but thanks for coming to a great show but It it is important to kind of scrutinize, especially if you're in trouble and having these horrible symptoms. Uh, But then I think we can tiptoe in the direction of optimization, including enjoying life. But I I think we are on a tightrope sort of thing here where um, I'll get into it a little bit with people and be talking about, uh, you know, cleaning up one's diet and and trying to get as much maximum nutrient density. And then You'll hear comments like, "Well, wait a sec, you know everything in mo- it's really all about moderation, right? And my answer is absolutely f and not because the the modern diet is is so pathetic, and the average health status of even guys in your age group uh, or whatever age group is is really pathetic. So we're comparing against a, a really trashed model. and I think it warrants an extreme approach in in every single way to, to do all that you can and your ambition to do all those things every day yeah some days you're probably gonna miss out on uh, on some of that but it it shouldn't be that hard with all the freedom that we have and, and all the awareness and the knowledge in in modern life
1: 100 percent, and i think you know a really helpful mental model is just thinking about where your end goals are and where you want to get to so i think about for me um, you know, when I'm walking around the grocery store, it's like, I'm really trying to live in that outer aisle where all the real foods are that you just mentioned. But with that being said, it's like, there still is a pull to the inner aisles where all the processed crap is because these companies, you know, I think there's 33,000 products in the average grocery store that are controlled by around 10 companies. There's like that image that went viral, that food web, and it's like Unilever, Coca-Cola, General Mills, Kellogg's, et cetera. And, you know, a lot of these companies have these food scientists that know the perfect combinations to create hyper palatable foods where you can't stop. So they know how to make the saltiness, the crunch, the texture. So it's like you're going for a Dorito and you're you're not eating two Doritos. You're eating half the bag or the entire bag in my case. But, I, I, but the thing is, is even being in this hosting the Meat Mafia podcast, having my own experience with diet, I still feel that pull to the inner aisle. But for me, it's like, I think about how good I feel when I eat those foods on the list that you read off, Brad. And for me, it's like no bag of Doritos is worth it to, you it, know, it, it's almost like that's a vote to get me back into the hospital or have stomach issues again. So that's, and I just recognize, I'm like, that's not real food. That's a food like substance. Um, and I just, I'm like, that's, it's just a no-go. So that's kind of, that's just something I think about if I ever feel that temptation um, to go into some of those foods that you were talking about.
0: Yeah, I guess it's a blessing to have such a severe health condition that you really have to be on watch and know how vulnerable you are. Whereas if you can get away with a lot of stuff, and you know you're drifting into it more years and more decades, where um, you start to become a little more vulnerable, you may not ne- even notice the the cumulative effect of the stress of eating Oreo cookies every decade of your life, and um, you know wh- whatever it takes to get people to clean up um we don't want health crisis costing the the taxpayers that the healthcare system forty thousand dollars every time you go in there uh that's that's kind of rough and and the pain and suffering that you went through uh but hopefully you know that awakening will occur and when you say it's it's not worth it um that's a nice kind of um transition to make with your perspective but i think it's difficult to get there and i'm appreciating sort of a um A bigger picture besides the insidious and tempting foods and the marketing strategy and that is if you are um, inefficient at processing cellular energy internally you're going to develop a need a craving a propensity to go and get crappy foods because you need to sustain your energy levels because you're not good at burning fat making ketones uh, mobilizing energy from storage and so it's sort of like it's a uh, shame on the uh, corporate food giants for tempting us and luring us and putting those cartoons up when we were kids so we could get addicted to Reese's Peanut Butter Cups our whole life, but it's also if we're able to clean up our diet and even take baby steps toward that, um then it seems like we lose our uh, craving for these wonderful delicious addictive foods. You know, they're they no longer have that power and I've experienced this over time where you know i transitioned from uh regular milk chocolate to dark chocolate when i was when i learned that it was healthier and for a while the dark chocolate tasted kind of like cardboard you know it, it just didn't have that intense immediate flavor uh, but now if someone gives me a milk chocolate it's too sweet i don't like mm. it mm. and i'm not joking for the sake of sounding good on a podcast it's like if you literally have the capability of rewiring your taste buds away from Nutrient deficient processed foods that are hyper palatable to enjoying the most nutritious foods.
2: Isn't it amazing how your taste buds can evolve and change through through diet? I mean, I, I experienced it firsthand, and and it is it's this weird phenomenon. But it, it your taste buds do evolve, and for some context, like I used to I used to work in corporate America, and we had a, a visitor over from Europe, and we went out to lunch. And he's like, how do you guys eat this salty food? And we were eating real food. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, this isn't that salty. And then I, you know, started getting really strict with eating um, low carb, high fat and started realizing, I'm like, oh my gosh, the saltiness in this food is, is actually unpalatable. Like it's really, it's, it's unmanageable when you kind of hit the reset button. So I do think that's a really valuable point. And, that, and that's still just like, you know, real food coming from kind of a fast casual, fast casual restaurant. So that's not even like the worst offenders when it comes to mm. uh, abusing that those salt in, in, uh, in sweet taste buds that are taste bud receptors that are kind of driving that addiction, so to speak.
0: Uh, I'd say even more crazy is how your mentality can become hijacked. And when I listened to Dr. Saladino for the first time in 2019, talk about how plant foods not only are unnecessary, uh, they could be counterproductive. And I started mm. to think about the message and I listened to Sean Baker and I listened to Amber O'Hearn and I'm like, wow, these guys have uh, you know a, a very interesting and, and scientifically valid uh, argument here. And so I started looking at my daily salad differently and thinking about wow could this actually be rather than the centerpiece of my incredibly healthy diet could it be something that is is suboptimal and i started to lose my taste and lose my appreciation and my enjoyment same with the uh, the broccoli that i carefully stirred fried and drizzled the butter over and it's sitting there on my plate and i'm looking at it like do i want to eat this anymore and i i actually um it, it wasn't purposeful but my brain drifted away from the fixed and rigid belief that this stuff represents the ultimate expression of health to, eh, not sure if I need it. Maybe I should, tr- maybe I should try eliminating this stuff. And that was a real mind blower because I lost, my, I lost my taste. I lost my appetite for salad due to my thought processes, not, not even to my taste buds or anything like that.
2: Wow.
1: I feel like that's one of the cool things about both you and Mark that Harry and I have talked about before. Is like there's a lot of people in the space that are just, they're so invested in one particular way of eating that they're almost dogmatic about it. And there's this, this resistance to change. And it's been cool to see your progression from, you know, paleo to keto, to two meals a day, to a meal a day, to experimenting with carnivore. And I think even when you came on our podcast, you were saying how you were trying to experiment with more carbs. You were going through like a whole experimentation process there. And I feel like that's so important because, um, Like that's, that's where a lot of the beauty is, is it's like this ability to take control of your body and really just determine what are the combination of foods and the inputs that make you feel your best. And that combination could change over time. And why would you not try Mm -hmm. and experiment and try and optimize and become the best version of yourself?
0: Yeah, good point. I think we we all deserve to experiment, especially in your case, Brett, when you were suffering and you were compelled to try a strict carnivore uh, approach to to basically detox and give your system a break. So you know I'd say anyone who's suffering with something that's nagging in the area of autoimmune, inflammatory or digestive disturbances, you owe it to yourself to embark upon a restrictive diet, probably the easiest one to follow. and the most effective is that strict carnivore approach for, let's say thirty days where you're getting a lot of nutrition. you're You're perfectly satiated. there's no there's no struggling on it. And then you can, um, you know, uh, assess for improvements in in conditions after thirty days. And then I think the real experimenting comes when um, you've established this solid foundation that's free from processed foods, especially. And then you know, see what you can, um, wh- how different things uh, play out over time. Uh, but then I'm also, you know, you hear so much about this, and then I also do wonder, like. Uh, you know, not everything is your diet choices. You guys were talking about other points of healthy living as well, especially on the on the tweet there. Um, but you know, sometimes it's like, oh, I had a bad workout at the gym. It must have been all the carbs I ate last night. Well, maybe it was because you stayed up till till one in the morning uh watching highlights on Sports Center. You know, there's a lot of variables of play, but to have a nice clean diet foundation, that's when you have, you know, you even set yourself up for potential. Yeah. I think you see that. We see that a lot on Twitter. There's
1: there, it's very easy to just put so much emphasis behind one variable, whether it's like a carnivore diet or people talk about raw milk, or they'll just focus on one thing. And I think to your point, it's like, you know, something like a carnivore diet, that's a huge lever that you can pull, but it's in conjunction with really good quality sleep, stress management, meditation, good quality exercise, sunlight exposure. There's so many different things that operate in conjunction. And I do think for me, like the me taking control of my food for going carnivore, that was like the first big thing for me to pull. And then it was like all these other inputs started to come too, where it's like, okay, now I want to, I want to sleep, I want to really get eight hours, I want to cut my caffeine consumption earlier, Um, I want to implement a meditation practice. It was almost like this, um, it was like this, this compounding effect that built on top of each other. Mm -hmm. And I know Harry's got an interesting story too, where mine was like I was trying to correct this autoimmune disease. Harry was kind of like similar to a lot of other people. I think you, you know, you put on some weight and you started with just diet as like the first thing that you can control. So maybe that would be a good little story
2: to talk through. Yeah. So, right around the beginning of COVID, I was, you know, kind of just trying to like shift the momentum in my life around my health. Like, I had realized that during my playing days, I could really rely on just like living in the gym and, and being a meathead to still look and feel good. And then, you know, I I was always very disciplined in the gym, and then would would allow some uh, slip ups here and there in terms of nutrition. And then as soon as I entered the real world, I was not, I wasn't going to the gym nearly as much. And I saw my nutrition starting to slide. So, you know, the effects of that are obviously, you know, pretty pretty noticeable after a year or two of living like that right so i had put on some weight and i'm like dude you're not the athlete you used to be man and you want to and now i was kind of like thinking about like how can i break this paradigm and start getting back into being an athlete so i was experimenting with running marathons but i was still like not in great shape like uh not doing not excelling at them by any means and then covid hit and i was like all right like let's figure this thing out let's hit like the full reset button so I went from cooking basically none of my meals to cooking all of my meals, Um, just like brought everything under my own control. I I committed to learning one new recipe a week. Wow. So just kind of like incrementally getting more and more excited about cooking my own meals. And as soon as you learn three and have like three go to meals, you're like, oh, this is easy. I can I can learn three this week. So you start to exceed your little uh, low, lower bound of, of what you're expecting of yourself. And within a really short, like six weeks, I had dropped a bunch of weight through a keto diet. And it was really just like a, an animal based diet, but I was incorporating Mark's uh, big ass salad. Like that was a big part of it. Um, you know, cooking with a lot of eggs, beef, basically that list that, that you read off was kind of what I was relying on in terms of a food list. And then from a, uh, a lifestyle perspective, I was, I wasn't commuting an hour each way anymore. So I was able to pick up a few extra minutes of sleep each day. And I committed, you know, a little bit of that extra time towards getting out and walking every day, I was really intentional about making sure I hit 15,000 steps. And so I was, I was basically just doing kind of like, you know, that's not, not super intense exercise, but I was I was getting out and moving around. And then I was focusing on the diet stuff. And I, I dropped like 30 pounds in, you know, six, six to eight months um, of just being really intentional about it, like no slip ups, no alcohol, mm-hmm. just wanted to, wanted to change uh, the course of, you know, how things were going. And that had a, a massive effect of how I thought about things going forward. Where It's like you just have to focus on the fundamentals, like be Be a fundamentalist when it comes to these types of things, like don't go for like the extreme, like I'm going to like for some people, maybe that works, but like you you can really just reduce it down to a few core principles like food, sleep in in the gym and just start with that and focus on those three pillars. And you can make a lot of progress just kind of investing your time the right way in those three areas. I'm
0: so excited to introduce you to Paluva. please visit paluva.com, that's P-E-L-U-V-A, and use the code BRADPODCAST and get 10% off your first pair. Paluva's, let your feet be feet. Yeah, I like that. Well said. Now, was this in Austin, one of the fittest, most health-conscious communities, or um, did that okay, matter, Boston. your environment?
2: Oh, totally. It totally matters. I was in Boston, um, and I it was pretty since it was the beginning of lockdowns, it was pretty isolating, uh, like, which might have actually worked in my favor because there was no social pressures. So, like, no one was going to bars, no one was going to restaurants. And I, for me, it was great because I was like, all right, there's no, <laughs> there's no Friday, Saturday, let's go do stuff. It was just like, no one's going to do No one's going to do anything because the lockdown. So I was like, this is a good excuse to just kind of focus on things that I want to prioritize. Oh. So,
0: geez, that's-, that's a better story than all the people who who lost control of their their health, and gained weight during COVID. The whole thing doesn't make sense to me. Like, why are you blaming something unrelated? But, oh no, that my gym was closed, so I got out of shape. Like, what the hell are you talking about, you know? Yeah. What about the staircase in your in your building? Like, there's yeah, there there should be no excuses, but of course, we do know that environment's super important. It
2: really is. And on that point, since
0: I've moved to Austin,
2: I've been really conscious about where I'm where I'm spending my time, who I'm spending my time with. And it's amazing how community plays such an incredible role in health. I think it's environment is the foundation of all of this. Like it will dictate what you do in terms of consuming food, how you approach going to the gym, the thoughts mm-hmm. you have. I think the people you spend your time with is, critical and th- they will keep you accountable and move you in the right direction if you're spending the time with the right people and if you're not mm-hmm. it's the exact opposite so yeah um that's been one of the the benefits of what brett and i have kind of fallen into with working towards this that ironman that we did last year and then you know this year we, we did a 100k race we've kind of just started really just competing with like in in a very like collegial way like hey like let's just make this our lifestyle and it can just be the two of us but we've slowly learned like other people want to be a part of it other people want to sign up for the events that we're going to sign up for so um but you know just having like one other brother in arms to be like hey we're going to just make this our lifestyle this will work um so that's been very rewarding about this whole process of building the meat mafia
0: yeah that's great i mean you're not in the same town yet but um if you don't have that Perfect winning environment like dreamy Austin Texas with all the attributes <laughs> you have to create your own. You're compelled to, and you can do that digitally now, where you have you know the accountability partner or someone that you're you're right in sync with. And um, I have uh, numerous childhood friends who I still keep in touch with, and of course we were athletes back in the day. And a lot of athletes back in the day now sit on the couch and watch the NFL on Sunday yes. and talk about how great their undefeated team was back in the day. But um, I really think it's important to you know mm-hmm. to to inspire and and bring bring others with you on the journey, if you might be the first person to uh, tow your foot in the water for that triathlon, swim or whatever, um but then also find people that that uh, cause you to to bring up to your a game. so it's a, it's a delicate balance, but I think now more than ever, it's easier to connect. Uh, but I, I should ask a question here at the end of my end of my rant, and um, what the heck are these former baseball players doing? Mm-hmm going into deep endurance like how did you get the uh, inclination to do that
1: it's a good it's a good question and i'll preface it by saying i remember my senior year we had to do harry i forget what the name of that 5k was that we had to do in the fall every single year dude i completely
2: forget uh i forget but yeah it was that was always a struggle for a lot of people on our team and I walked the entire thing because that's how <laughs> that's
1: that's how bad I was at long distance running. There was like a pack of guys that were like, we're like, oh, we're not running this thing, we're gonna walk. And I was and I was one of those guys. And I don't know. I just felt like for me, I graduated 2017, Harry graduated 2016, so he's a year older. And I just left school feeling like I just felt like I kind of underachieved relative to my potential. Mm. Um, I was like, I was an okay to slash good ish student not great relative to what I thought I could have been. I felt like my baseball career could have been a lot better. I felt like I could be a better friend, like a better son to my parents. Like I really just like when I graduated, I went back home for a few months before I started working and just thought on a lot of this stuff. And, um, around that same time period, like David Goggins was really starting to get more popular and more mainstream. And one of the things that he talked a lot about was like his, one of his methods for self-improvement was just lacing up his running shoes and starting to run. So, like, I very vividly remember going out for like my first three mile run ever, just running it at like a 10 minute clip. And that was a big deal for me because I would never really intentionally ran on my own before. And like anything else, right? You start doing it more and more, and the momentum builds, and you start running. I think I ran like six or eight miles on my own. And I was like, all right, well, why don't I sign up for a half marathon? Do the half marathon, do multiple half marathons, marathons, go to triathlon. Triathlon goes into half Ironman's to Ironman's to 100K. And it's kind of just like anything else. It's like that, that gradual momentum over time. And that's a big reason why we're even sitting here on this podcast with you is that Harry and I were both having really good experiences in COVID, um, getting really healthy, cooking a lot of our meals. And we were looking for that next challenge. And we wanted something that we could sign up for that scared us, that would also <laughs> like kind of help bring our friendship together because he was up in Boston and I was in New York. So we signed up for Ironman Waco in Texas which is a really interesting location to do uh, an Ironman. If you've ever been to central Texas before, there's not a ton going on, but we said, look, we could go do the race and go for the weekend, or we could make a whole experience out of it and go get an Airbnb and stay in Austin for a month and just switch it up. And that's, you know, that's, that's what we did. And we were cooking all of our meals and building off of each other's energy, like Harry was talking about. And that kind of naturally developed into, into the meat mafia. But, yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a pretty natural progression. But I think that's what's cool about doing things like the 100K is that I you can sit here and say, I remember being in 2017 and I couldn't run two miles and I was just getting out of the hospital. And it's just pretty cool to see that constant progression over time, you know?
2: Yeah, I th- I feel like the endurance stuff, too, is kind of this endless pursuit. Like you can always get better at some aspect of it. Um, and if you're not like constantly working at some of it, like your fitness does get affected. So it's like, it's almost this amazing thing. And like, you can see it get taken to the extreme and be like somewhat toxic for some people, but like for for a lot of people, it's really, I I think it's an incredible tool of just like personal development. You develop better time management skills, better, uh, like I now plan my weeks ahead of time, which is like not something. I was all that good at beforehand and like really just like having certain days like this is what I do um, for, you know, certain days. This, this is exactly what's happening. Like I know I know a week ahead of time what exactly is happening. So for me, I think that there's a lot of other things that happen when you go through taking on such a big challenge that you don't really expect to happen. And then you look back and like, oh, man, I got better at just like life in general. So uh, it's a win.
0: yeah. In- in- well said i love that and especially if there's you know been any boundaries that have held us back somewhere at some point in our lives and then you get out onto the ironman run course there really is no way to prepare for that i mean yeah you can do all that training but at some point you're going to be checking in with your brain going hey do i do i have what it takes and um yeah that's that's that can lead to some uh real breakthroughs in other areas of life but i think um it's it's not easy to make that connection. And it's it's nice that, you know, you guys have realized the power of leveraging that. Cause I think some people, like you said, they just get stuck in whatever rut, if they're a meathead at the gym and they're not looking at their diet or they're an extreme endurance athlete and they're, you know, chronically overtraining rather than treating it as a, a peak performance endeavor where you wanna do it right rather than just do it. And that kind of stuff I shake my head at sometimes. Cause it's like, hey, these are the best lessons to learn. From persevering through these athletic challenges, um, mm. you know. Uh, speaking of Goggins, like he's got so much great content, and has inspired so many people. Uh, but then he tells that story of uh, the hundred miler where his legs seized up at mile eighty, and he, you know he couldn't get out of his chair. Mm. Uh, but then he uh, somehow got up and, and carried on for the last twenty. And you know, sometimes in life, I'm thinking, you know, that would have been smarter just to drop out at mile eighty and say, "I, I made this tremendous achievement of running eighty miles." and i don't want my wife to drag me up our apartment complex stairs while i'm shitting myself because that's just not part of the the overall picture of becoming a better person through these athletic challenges so i get to i get to tease them uh, back at them because uh, sometimes we can forget the nuance of these lessons where sometimes you want to push and persevere and not give up and then other times um you know if, if it sucks in whatever town you're living in then, then bail and go, go start again in Austin. I mean, it's okay to kind of move along. A hundred percent. And I think that a lot of the things
1: that we've done the last year are predicated or, you know, inspired from a lot of the things that we've done through endurance athletics. That's why I think you make such a good point because there are a lot of people in the fitness community that they, there, there's so much contention and debate around, you know, long distance cardio, it's not good. You should just be lifting heavy and sprinting. And it's like, Yeah. But that's, it's, that's not necessarily the point. It's like, we're not just doing this stuff for the physical benefits or just to stay in shape. Like there's so much power to signing up for a big race once a year. That really scares you that you put on the calendar and you don't know if you're, you're ready for it, but you trust that you'll prepare and you'll show up on race day. And like you were saying, you, you like, you get to the start line of the Ironman, you're in your wetsuit and you're like, all right, I'm going to go bike 2.4 miles. I'm going to, or I'm going to, I'm going to swim 2.4, bike 112, and then run a marathon. In your mindset your mind is just racing down the road and you have this like constant battle for yourself to just stay as present as possible like one stroke one pedal um you know it, it you learn so much about yourself through those races and those pursuits and it's it's an addicting feeling honestly
0: love it guys and so this was uh the training camp for the waco Ironman, where the 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 idea for meet mafia was born like tell us how you did your first step of of launching into twitter and then uh, following that and that uh, great response that you got, how did you come up with the the idea to kick off the podcast as well?
2: Yeah, so I had the idea of moving to Austin um, in August of that year. And we had shifted from going from we were originally signed up for Ironman Canada and then we moved it to Waco. And so we got down to Austin. I was. Uh, working on a business idea was outside of the meat mafia, but it was related to he- the health space and regenerative agriculture. Which previously I had been working in real estate, so like this was a totally new field. And my first inclination was like, I need to like really kind of just start meeting people in this space and like connecting with people and formulating my own thoughts and ideas around all of this uh, this new uh, material that I'm I'm really trying to like be- di- just dive into and i didn't want to go back to like grad school or anything i just wanted to start creating stuff so um started writing online and um i was writing for a a blogger named texas slim and just talking about regenerative agriculture and brett not brett was literally literally sleeping on my floor at this time and we were just talking about you know these ideas these principles that we had kind of been coming across in terms of the nutrition side of things but then also tying it back to like really the quality of the food and how the food system does play such a massive role in like the overall health and uh, sustainability in the sense of like, can we continue to eat the way that we're eating right now at scale across humanity? I don't think so. So we're like, can we can can we start to educate around like eating properly and sourcing good quality ingredients? and kind of incorporating our own experience of of uh, our physical endeavors and nutrition, so we started writing on that and uh, came up with these anonymous names. We're both fans of mafia stuff, uh, and and felt like it was appropriate. You know, if you're going to go up against big food and and uh, kind oh,
0: of, oh, I get it now. Kind of oh, okay, some
2: of the uh, some of the 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 vegan narratives out there that <laughs> that are forming some some gravity. You need to have a little bit of a mafioso personality, so. Um, Brett and I took to that and we started writing in January. We were real like really writing on Twitter in January. And then uh March 1st came around and we just had the idea. We're like, we write about this stuff, we're gaining traction, but it would be great if we built another medium and mode to kind of get this message out there. And we thought like podcasting has been something that's really we're both huge podcast consumers, and we've Both felt like our voices, um, given what we'd already written and learned about a bunch in our own personal experience, just being able to put a voice behind some of the stuff that we've already put out there is a really powerful next step. So we were like, let's just pair these two together, this written piece, this this podcasting piece and see what we can do. And we just dove headfirst into the podcasting stuff. I mean, we did like, right, we were recording like eight so. episodes a week sometimes. <laughs> like it, it was getting out of control there for a little bit. And um it but it was great because we learned how to podcast. We learned how to like ask good questions. We learned the dual co-host dynamic a little bit better. Just like really dove in. And it was <laughs> also good because we were able to get better and better guests very quickly. So um you know we've had some amazing people like yourself on um and and, and a few other you know Killer guests! Uh, it, it's been an amazing learning experience. I think both of us are just like very, very excited that we took the step
0: because it, it was well worth it. Love it, listeners! What do you think? These guys are pretty awesome co-guests as well as being co-hosts on the Meet Mafia podcast. I've, I love it. Um, what are some of your favorite um, takeaways and highlights from uh, from guests and from insights that have caused you to? maybe think differently or recalibrate uh, based on, you know, meeting these great people that you invite on?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. And I think what's been interesting about the show, Brad, is we we basically tried to create the show, like Harry said, we've consumed so many podcasts for so long. We're like, who are the guests that we really want to have on? And how do we want to run the show in a way that like we wish that we had when we were just listening to podcasts? And so we've been trying to attack the angle of, okay, what's gone wrong with our food system, but how do we fix it? So we've tried to have this holistic approach on where it's like, you know, we've had on a ton of doctors. We have people that are treating chronic disease with low-carbohydrate diets. We've had on regenerative farmers, farmers, um, different people from all these different spheres to try and figure out how do we actually get healthy? So I think for both of us, the regenerative ranchers that we've had on are fascinating because you actually get insight into all of the effort and energy that goes into really raising your food the right way. Like when we say grass-fed, grass-finished, how much harder that actually is to raise cattle that way Mm. when it would be so easy to just feed them corn, soy, et cetera, just to fatten them up really quickly, to try and have like a, locate a hyper-local processing facility so that you can kill these cows in like a, you know, humane way so the animal doesn't get stressed out and us as the consumer you know, we're getting a much better product. So I think just like hearing some of these stories from these ranchers and everything they go through, it's just incredibly inspiring. Um, And it's motivating because we want to be able to give them the mic so that they can get their story out there and try and teach people, you know, look, number one, you should always be trying to to buy food that's within your budget. So if you can only buy meat from the grocery store, totally get it because you'll still be better off than 99% of the crap in the inner aisle. But if you can make that intentional effort to go actually find a farmer close to you or a rancher, you know you can pretty much guarantee that they're going to be growing their product incredibly well, grass-fed, grass-finished. And it sounds cheesy, but it's like they're almost raising the animal with love because they're incentivized to care about your health because their their pool of customers is much lower. So if they're not giving you the best quality meat, you're not going to go back to them. Whereas if you're buying meat in the grocery store... It's being processed by a a slaughterhouse that's, oh, it's a monopoly of four of them that control Mm. about 90% of all the meat. So it's just a very different experience and autonomy of the food that you're taking in. So I think for me, just learning from these ranchers, which was not a field that I knew much about prior to starting this, that it's been really inspiring and really uh, just influential to me.
2: Yeah, I think some of the deeper conversations we've had have been with Just piggybacking off of what Brett said um, with Taylor Collins, who started Epic Provisions with his wife, Katie, and they were endurance athletes before. Brad, I don't know if you've had Taylor on or come across him before, but he would be an awesome guest for you. But he's since started uh, Force of Nature, which is a regenerative supply, uh, supply chain supported beef delivery company. And then he also started Rome Ranch, which is a bison ranch in Fredericksburg, Texas. And they're focused all on restoring the soil and, and really just his perspective. I mean, he and his wife used to be vegans there, and then they went fully animal based. Uh, Katie was really struggling with some serious, serious health problems. And like, I just think they have an amazing perspective on on what holistic health really means. And there was a moment in the interview where I said, what's What's worse off right now, soil health or human health? and Taylor goes, they're one and the same, and I was like, "Oh wow. shoot, oh, they're like you know what we're doing to the soil in terms of like abusing it with these fertilizers and pesticides is really just kind of a parallel to how we're treating our own bodies with processed food so it, it it was just an interesting paradigm or or interesting perspective to to take. And then another one was um, Kate Cavanaugh. She's a butcher um, and a regenerative farmer as well. And she's also reformed uh, previously a vegan, um, now animal based. So it's like, I just think they they bring this like very full lens of like what nutrition in the food system could and should look like. And I, I just, I, I pulled a lot of value out of both of those interviews. They're, they were pretty amazing.
0: Nice. Uh, Can you guys describe further when we use the term regenerative agriculture, regenerative farm, what that means?
2: Yeah, the the concept is really about raising uh, animals in line with nature and and how nature intended them to be raised. So it's low input, meaning there's no chemical fertilizers being used. And you're really using a a vertically integrated uh, multi-species approach to getting rid of pests on your property so that the plants and grasses can grow appropriately so that other animals can come in and graze on those grasses and then restore the soil. So there's there's layers to the ecosystem that are all playing a part. So it's kind of this holistic way of looking at, you know, holistic land management is, is what it would be boiled down to. It's how can we bring all these different animals who play a certain role on the land um, to, to raise uh, a vibrant ecosystem that has biodiversity and, and all these, um, amazing compounding factors that create really, really high quality food. And, uh, we had Joel Salatin on, who talks about just like the benefits of this holistic land management, even to the, to the level of the micronutrients in the food itself. Like he's saying his eggs are like way more nutritious than the egg you would get at, you know, your, your store. so. Um, that's sort of, that would be my definition of regenerative agriculture. I don't know if you have anything to add there, Brett. No, the only other thing that I would say is just to contrast what you're saying, um, Mm.
1: thinking about some of these like just really large scale, almost like factory farms that most people see when you you think of a farm um, to grow corn, wheat, and soy, they're they're doing something called monocrop agriculture. So they're basically stripping, they basically completely depleted the soil because Instead of kind of doing these principles of biomimicry like Harry's talking about, where it's this real ecosystem, where everything's playing off of each other and the cows are pooping and it's regenerating the soil. These factory farms, they're basically just optimizing for one crop. So they've stripped everything out. They bulldoze everything out so you can just grow this one crop. Um, So it's very interesting to go out to somewhere like a white oak pastures in Bluffton, Georgia, which we got to do a few weeks ago. And just see what does it actually look like to replicate nature and not have fertilizers out there, and see all these animals kind of like, like beautifully interworking into the ecosystem. And um, one of the things that Harry mentioned earlier is that we had Taylor and Katie on the show, and so after they sold Epic, they said, "Look, we really want to put our money where our mouth is and buy a buy a regenerative farm and uh, buy a farm, regenerate the land, and be bison bison ranchers," which is such an which is such an interesting thing. But they really wanted to put their money where their mouth is. So they bought this um, like 1,000-acre property out in Fredericksburg, Texas, and um, the property was just completely depleted, beat to shit, and all the experts told them that it was going to take them at least 20 years, maybe 30 years to regenerate the land. And just by introducing a single pack of bison onto the land, they regenerated the soil within five years. Um, so it's, it's a pretty amazing story when you let these ruminant animals work and do what they're supposed to do the whole ecosystem kind of comes together by introducing this one thing
0: is it also the case that these regenerative farms can actually sequester carbon in other words um counter this widely touted criticism against uh eating meat and eating cattle is the the greenhouse gas emissions uh but uh i i understand if you do it right you can have a completely different story yeah white oak pastures
2: published um when they were i think after maybe after the process of of uh i think it was general mills who who did the study with white oak pastures and they uh essentially talked about how regenerative farming can be carbon negative and what white oak pastures was doing was carbon negative when you talk about restoring the soil these cows are actually helping uh plants pull carbon out of the atmosphere and put it back into the ground. So it's quite an amazing uh, process. And uh, uh, to note there, the soil itself is a a larger carbon sink than the atmosphere and forests by a factor of three and five. So it's like we can kind of start to right size some of the carbon and climate change arguments that people are putting out there just through focusing on or incentivizing this this type of farming it's a small amount of uh in terms of just the scale right now it's it's small relative to you know the entire food system but if we do start to push the incentives in the direction of of raising cattle this way and raising our food this way it can have an incredible effect on some of these environmental problems and the carbon is just like the one aspect of that like uh Will Harris, who we talked to a bunch, talks about how the, the water cycle is improved, biodiversity is improved, uh, a, a number of different factors that all play into just a healthier planet. Um, and so I, I think it's something worth investing time and energy in supporting because it really does have some positive uh, externalities and, and prospects to it.
0: Uh what do you mean there when you say the soil is uh, a bigger factor by multiples yeah, from the uh, the atmosphere and what else? Like that's kind of and so like forests. Oh, forest forests and the carbon,
2: are a carbon sink, and the atmosphere is a carbon sink, meaning that they can hold carbon. But soil holds uh, it compared to forests; it, it holds five x more carbon, and compared to the atmosphere, it holds three x more carbon. So if you can, if you can start to, but what we're doing is we're making this, we're turning this soil into dirt. So it can't, Mm. it it can't store the carbon in the same way that it it should be able to do. So when we start implementing some of these practices and really getting the organic compounds back in the soil, we can get water infiltrating back into the water table and get life back on the land. And that's when carbon can start to get pulled back into the, the soil and. Kind of balance out where where the carbon is being stored uh, in, in our in our planet. So
0: mm-hmm. wild. So in contrast, the monocropping agriculture, a lot of which is used to do uh, wheat, corn, soy, and plants. So if you're a, a highly conscious plant based eater because you don't want to ruin the environment by eating meat, um we can kind of flip the script and realize that the the factory farming. Uh, is is a great contributor to the problem um so when you bite into your uh your uh, vegan sandwich you can um you know acknowledge that uh this is this is a big contribution to the the greenhouse gas emissions whereby if you go get some meat from um, a sustainable farm regenerative farm um you could be uh, doing doing a solid it's it's an amazing insight because it it knocks out um one of the biggest arguments uh, and biggest propaganda against uh, an animal-based diet of sustainably raised animals.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You kind of see this pinballing in the plant-based and vegan community between nutri- between nutritional arguments and environmental arguments. And, you know, for the past 50 years, I think people have been, they've been able to get away with these um,
0: nutritional <laughs> arguments, right? Now yeah. the mafia is on them. Yeah. We're going to find <laughs> you. We're going to hunt you down and set you straight. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, but it, it's sad, though, because there's been this... Um, there's strong inversion to saturated fat and cholesterol and it's like you see it all the time with maybe someone that's in their 40s or 50s and they start going keto or carnivore and they lose a ton of wh- weight their waist size goes down their fasting blood sugar goes down their blood pressure improves all these symptoms are great and then their doctor is is just looking at that ldl cholesterol number because maybe it increased a little bit because they ate animal products and they immediately get them on a statin or tell them to discontinue their diet and it's such a shame because there's so many people, ourselves included, that have gotten healthier towards running towards these products. And I think that there's starting to be enough literature where people are waking up to what nutrient density actually means and how animal products really are that. And I feel like in response to that, there's this big push within the vegan and plant-based community to now really push push the envelope with some of these environmental arguments, mm. which is why what Harry is talking about is so valuable. It's because... To be able to like really set the narrative straight and talk through regenerative agriculture and carbon sequestering, and also I think we have an obligation to point our family and friends in the right direction and arm people with the right um, like you know documentaries and podcasts and just things that they can use to really educate themselves. Like I think Sacred Cow does an amazing job of kind of being like this unbiased documentary and making like the proper case of meat in the environment and then also um, as part of like a nutrient dense diet which is such a contrast to these vegan films that come out after every few years, whether it's like Game Changers, Forks Over Knives, that are, um, they're very like colorized and there's a lot of propaganda and they know how to make the emotional appeal and the morality of killing animals. And, you know, people go vegan, they feel terrible. Like uh, Harry was mentioning Kay Kavanaugh that came on the show. There are so many women that have been formerly plant-based that have come on our show that have mentioned um, like fertility, PMS mm-hmm. symptoms how much they've improved by switching from plant-based foods, to these really nutrient dense animal-based products. So um, that's why we just think it's important to really correct the narrative there.
0: And that's what you're doing on the meat mafia podcast. I hope listeners will go over there and enjoy some of these great educational opportunities. Oh my goodness. Brett Salaza, Harry Clemenza, the (laughs) meat mafia throwing down. It was so great to connect with you guys. Um, you can uh, shout out the, the the Twitter account and everywhere else where we want to connect with you.
1: Yeah, so we uh, Harry and I have separate Twitter accounts. So um, as you mentioned, we are kind of like pseudo anonymous on Twitter. So uh, my Twitter handle is at Mister Salazzo, and then Harry's is at Carney Clemenza. And we'll send you the links to that. And then also our podcast is the Meat Mafia podcast. It's on every major podcast platform, and then we also have a Substack. Um, website called the Meat Mafia Podcast, where we we release da- daily articles on just what's going on in the food system. Uh, so um,
0: yeah, that's where you can check us out. Uh, what is the next big endurance goal you're going after now? Ooh. Uh, on a, I'm running a half Ironman. I'm doing
2: the half Ironman Waco. I've been training down uh-huh. here group the group um, and, and just really enjoying the process. I think getting some Previously, I had not been getting any coaching. I'd just been trying to do it myself, and um getting some serious coaching has been amazing, like the community aspect of it and getting a little bit more dialed in on on how to actually make some serious leaps and improvements in my time so it's uh that that's my next one, and i've got another I've got a trail marathon lined up for the rest
0: of the year, but that that's it for now for me, okay, guys, keep it up. Salazo so and Clemenza, the Meat Mafia, coming to you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hey, ladies. You may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for Her. of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkerns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free eBooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five-star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD Podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word and remember, be rad.